following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I try consistently to be learning some kind of new skill or some kind of new area of study in my life. Um, I feel like for me personally, it's a, it's a good exercise for me. It's a good exercise physically. Uh, it's a good exercise intellectually. It's even a good exercise emotionally. And in fact, we could talk about physiological and psychological studies that say, as you get older and older, as I am, some of you think that's funny, some of you don't, right? As you get older and older, learning new skills and, and continually teaching your brain to stretch and, and, and approach new things is extremely beneficial for you, okay? And if you think, well, I can't do something new, I can't learn something new, yes, you can. There's your Tony Robbins moment of the morning. But the point has nothing to do with your long-term health here. The, the point is, I, I'm, I'm always trying to learn something new. Like, I, I went through learning handstands. I went through, like, basic woodworking. The next thing, just so you know what's coming up on, on my radar, is learning to roast coffee. Like, that's the next thing that I'll be getting into. Um, but here's the thing. No matter what you do, right, no matter what you have to learn, whether it's a new hobby, whether it's something for your job, whether it's trying So I'm going to, I don't know if I can do this with one hand. This is really uncomfortable for me. <clears throat> Touche. And Jerry is the winner for the day. <clears throat> but here's the thing. You try to learn something new. There always comes a point, no matter what it is, that you get into it and you're like, okay, I can do this thing. And then you start studying it, you start reading up, you start trying some things, and you figure out that everything you want to do is much harder than you thought it was going to be, right? You're like, oh, I didn't realize that this was going to be a part of this. I didn't realize that that was going to be a problem when I started trying to do this. See, when you dive into anything new, you always come to that point where you realize it's much deeper than you expected. And the reality is you don't ever know what you don't know until you know that you don't know it. In the second half of Genesis chapter 32, Jacob's going to find himself in a place in his life where he has some hard lessons that he has to learn. Through the rest of his life, as we've studied the life of Jacob, we've seen him grow. We've seen him go through all kinds of experiences in his life. And he's seen God work. He's seen God move over and over and over again. He's seen God provide for him, protect him, bring him out of struggle, out of danger, and into safety and into just this thriving life. And yet, and yet, with all that knowledge, with all that experience, God still has to show up in Jacob's life at this point, to teach him how his immaturity, how his lack of true knowledge is a problem for him. 
So the question I want us to ask ourselves as we open this chapter today, as we finish chapter 32, is this, what, what lessons do I need to learn to grow into greater maturity in my faith in Jesus Christ? What are the lessons that I need to learn? Again, this passage we're going to look at is a well-known story that you may have heard many, many times. And it's a story that when we really examine it, it's full of mystery. For everything we know about this passage we're going to talk about, there's probably two things that we have no idea how to even think about. It is chock full of mystery. But what is clear in this passage is what God teaches Jacob and what he teaches us about the building blocks for maturity in our faith. And the first lesson that we're going to learn through Jacob is that maturity requires humility. Maturity requires humility. We're going to see this in verses 22 through 25. Starting back in verse 22, it says, During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two slave women, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford at Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, along with all of his possessions. While Jacob was left alone, a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. Maturity requires humility. Okay, again, remember where we were at last week as we looked at the first half of this chapter. Jacob is preparing to meet his brother Esau, who the last time they met, Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And now he's preparing to meet his brother once again. And we saw last week how Jacob got on his knees before the Lord and offered this awe-inspired, faithful prayer to the Lord. And he followed it up with a faithless act of self-dependence in his attempt to satisfy his brother without actually having to trust the Lord to do the work. And so this is where we find Jacob. And on this same night, as he's made that awe-filled, faithful prayer, and as as he has acted in his own strength, in his own ability, in his own best efforts, the same night he sends his two camps, half of his family and half of his possessions one way, half of his family, half of his possessions in another camp. He sends them across this river as he knows he will be approaching his brother. But as Jacob lingers behind, he finds himself in a wrestling match. That's everything we got about this wrestling match. Like, I, think about this. As I study this, I kept thinking, I wonder how this starts. He wrestles this guy until daybreak, but how does it start? Like, is Jacob sitting there waiting, watching his family walk away, and then he just sees this guy creepily standing off to the side? He's like, let's wrestle. (laughs) I mean, does, does a man sneak up behind him and start, like, I don't know. Like, I would love to know how you just meet some stranger and start wrestling with him. I've never done that in my life. Has never happened. But how? We don't know. All we know is that they start wrestling. And at some point, as day is, is starting to break, this man that Jacob's wrestling touches Jacob's hip and dislocates the hip. 
Now, the word used here in, in the, the Hebrew language is touch. Right? Not that he struck the hip. Not that he hammered on the hip. But he touched it. Now, whether touch means he literally just softly touched the hip or not, I don't know. But the, the, the point of that word used here is to emphasize the fact that this is not a human effort that dislocates Jacob's hip. There is divine power behind this touch. And that clear point is that the attacker could have won the wrestling match at any point. It says he, he, he realized he couldn't defeat Jacob, right? But if he could just touch Jacob's hip and dislocate it, couldn't he have won at any given point in time? The answer is yes. That is the point. It's not Jacob's strength in the wrestling match. Not like Jacob was some great wrestler. Like Jacob's all state. So he could handle this man. No, Jacob wrestled. He gave his best effort. He did everything he could do. And he did well from a human perspective. But at any given point in time, the man he's wrestling could have ended the match. You ever arm wrestle a little kid? Just playing games with them? Like, oh, we'll arm wrestle. Right? And you, you, they, they, you start the wrestling match and you're like, oh, oh, you're going to win. Oh, oh, you're so strong. But you know at any given point in time, with very little effort, you could flip that arm over and you could end the wrestling match. Jacob could have been defeated at any time. But he didn't know that. He didn't realize that. He kept fighting, thinking he could win. He could overcome this man. See, without humility in our lives, we will never grow into maturity. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says, When arrogance comes, disgrace follows. But with humility comes wisdom. With humility comes wisdom. You want to grow? You want to mature? You can't be like Jacob thinking, I can just do enough. I can get, I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I can do this. That is arrogance. That leads to disgrace. But humility leads to wisdom, which should bring in our minds the question of what is humility, right? And I'm going to tell you, I've told you my definitions of humility many, many times, and you're going to hear many, many, many more times. Today is just the next one. This isn't the first time. This won't be the last. When we talk about humility in, in, in our relation to God, humility is, is defined as this. Me at my full height before God at his full height, recognizing the difference. Me at my full height before God at his full height, recognizing the difference. See, to mature in our faith, we have to have a deep understanding of the bigness of God and the smallness of the best that we have to offer. We can have seminary degrees. We can know the Bible inside and out. We can evangelize like Billy Graham. We can never miss a moment when the church doors are open. But if we lack humility, we will be nothing more than spiritual pygmies. You can do all that other stuff without spiritual maturity. It takes more than just knowledge, just some kind of action. 
in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, as, as Paul's giving some of his closing, uh, closing remarks, he says this, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, instead be humble, right? Associate with the humble. Some of your translations say associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Arrogance is saying, I'm big, I'm smart, I'm strong. I got this, I can do that. I can handle whatever. And that will fail you every single time. Because if you're going to truly grow in your faith, you must have a humility of knowing how big God is and how small you and I are. See, when we lack humility, when we don't understand how big God is and how small we are, when we lack humility, it's proof that we don't really know Jesus the way we think we do. Because if I truly knew Jesus, wouldn't I know how big he is and how nothing I am in comparison to him? Yes. So when we lack humility, it's because we don't know Jesus. We might know about him. We might know some stuff, but we don't know Jesus. So the question is, how do we see ourselves in relation to Jesus Christ? How do we see ourselves in relation to our God? How do we see ourselves in relation to the power of his Holy Spirit? Because if we're going to grow, if we want to mature in our faith, we must, we must be humble. Jacob lacks a maturity-inducing humility. But why? Why does he lack a maturity-inducing humility? We find the answer in these next few verses. In verse 26 through 29, where we see maturity requires humility, but maturity also requires awareness. Maturity requires awareness. Verses 26 through 29 here. It says, then he said to Jacob, right? And so here is the sun starting to come up. Jacob's hip has been dislocated. It says, then he said to Jacob, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked Jacob. The man asked, Jacob, he replied. Your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Maturity requires awareness. And with this dislocated hip, Jacob probably has some understanding that he's not going to win this fight. But even with that, he refuses to let go until the man blesses him. And in this exchange, in this encounter, the man asks Jacob, he says, what's your name? Jacob says, well, it's Jacob. The man says, that's who you were, but now you are Israel. Israel meaning to struggle with or to contend with God. This in and of itself is a form of blessing. Because he's saying, Jacob, you will now not be remembered as a liar, a cheater, one who was on the run from his family. He said, you will be remembered and your descendants will be remembered as those who act 
under the authority of God. You've contended with God and man, and you are blessed. It's the assurance that God has been promising Jacob through his whole journey. Every time we've seen Jacob go to the Lord in prayer, God has assured him, provided provision and protection. And here, here there's this reminder, yes, and your name is going to be a constant reminder of that. And then Jacob asks the man, he says, okay, you, you know my name, you changed my name, okay, great. What's your name? And Jacob gets this really curious response. The response is, why do you ask my name? He seems to be saying to Jacob, think about this for a second. You know who I am. You're asking a question that you already know the answer to. You know who I am. And at this moment, Jacob's suspicions are confirmed. He's like, yes, this is God. This is God. And it's at that moment that it says, God blesses him. It's at this time that God blesses him. John Flavel, or Flavel, depending on who you want to ask, was a 17th century Puritan preacher. And he once said this, They that know God will be humble. They that know themselves cannot be proud. They that know God will be humble. They that know themselves cannot be proud. If Jacob had been aware from the very start of this wrestling match of how weak he truly was, he would have been humbled immediately. He would have been humbled at the very beginning of that wrestling match. But that didn't happen. He didn't know himself. So he lacked this humility until he was confronted with the reality of who he wrestled with. Until he was confronted with the reality that this is God. And it's not until then that he is blessed. It's not about Jacob's strength. It's not about his perseverance. It's not about his hold on God that lies at the heart of this story. The heart of this story is God's blessing. God could have broken Jacob's hold at any time. God could have walked away from Jacob at any time. None of this story has to do with Jacob's strength. I've heard this preached that way before, and I just think it's, it's wrong. It's not about Jacob. It's about God blessing Jacob. And that's not to say that our, our hold on God should be, should be weak. Because our hold on God shouldn't be weak. We should hold tightly to him. We should persevere. We should remain faithful in the ups, the downs, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. But that's not the emphasis of these verses. What we should see first and foremost is that Jacob isn't blessed until he is aware of who God is and aware of how insignificant Jacob's own strength is. See, for you and me in our lives, we should remember 
at all times, the truth that we are stronger than the the powers, the institutions, the wickedness, the hatred, the bitterness, the unforgiveness of the world around us. The powers and authorities and rulers of this world have nothing on you and me. We are stronger than any of it. Okay, remember that. Do not forget that. But also, we must never forget that we are not stronger because we are strong. We are not stronger because we have some secret knowledge. We are not stronger because we are greater than the people who oppose God in this world. We are stronger because we belong to the one who is omnipotent, who is stronger than any of that. It's not about us, it's about him. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, You are from God, little children. And we have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And what John is talking about here directly, he's talking about the false teachers who have infiltrated the church. He's saying we are stronger than what? Than the lies of the world. We are stronger than the lies of those who are not part of God's kingdom. You and I are stronger than the lies. But it's never because we are stronger because our God is greater. Our God prevails over every lie, over every threat, over every trouble, every trial, every difficulty, every painful word, every broken relationship. Our God prevails. And so we are victorious, not because of us, but because of him. And that leaves us with the question of our awareness Right? Whose strength do we rely upon today? When the world throws struggles at you, when you feel beat up, when you feel broken down, when you feel like everything is wrong in life and nothing could go worse than it's going right now, what strength do you turn to? Is it that I just got to be better? I just got to read my Bible a little more. I just need to pray some more. I just need to do some nicer stuff. Is it trusting in the power, the strength, and the authority of a sovereign, omnipotent God? Jacob lacked maturity because he lacked an awareness that could produce humility. But if we follow this back, we have to then say, okay, well, what then is the foundation of that awareness? Right? I want to be mature, so I need humility. I need the awareness to be humble. How do, I, how do I come to that awareness? In the final couple of verses here, we see that the foundation of this, when we see that maturity requires dependence. Maturity requires dependence. Verse 30 through 32, as this passage concludes, it says, Jacob then named that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, he said, Yet my life has been spared. The sun shone on him as he passed by Peniel, limping because of his hip. That is why, still today, the Israelites don't eat the thigh muscle that is at the hip socket, because he struck Jacob's hip socket at that thigh muscle. Maturity requires dependence. 
after what he's just experienced, after this wrestling match, this conversation with God, Jacob responds with a sense of dependence. Jacob renames the place Peniel, which means face of God. See, in the Old Testament, encountering God face to face was something to be feared. We see it happen several times in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19 through 20 uh, with with Moses. It says, says, God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face for humans cannot see me and live. God says, you can't see me and live. Jacob just not only saw the Lord, but wrestled with him. You think there's a sense of dependence in his life right now? Oh, yeah. When you get to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 6, story of Gideon, and it says, when Gideon realized that, that he saw the angel of the Lord, he said, oh, no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace to you, do not be afraid for you will not die. The angel of the Lord in the the Old Testament, anytime you see the angel of the Lord, you have the pre-incarnate Christ. That's the Messiah, the Son of God, appearing in the Old Testament. Gideon sees the angel of the Lord, and he says, I'm going to die. The only thing that keeps him from not dying is that he's pardoned by the angel of the Lord. But he has this fear, this respect from having seen God. We see the same thing with, with Samson's parents when they're told that, that they're going to have Samson. It says, then Manoah realized that this message he got was from the angel of the Lord. He said, we are certainly going to die, he said to his wife, because we have seen God. Do you see the common theme coming up? If you see God, you're in deep trouble. And again, the fact that Jacob not only saw God's face, but wrestled with him and survived is a clear picture, not of Jacob's righteousness, because this has nothing to do with Jacob's righteousness. It has everything to do with God's grace and God's blessing. What did Jacob deserve in this wrestling match? Death. He deserved to die. But by God's grace, he received the blessing. And from here on, through the rest of Jacob's life, he carries a new name, Israel, as a reminder of his place before God. And he carries a limp as a physical reminder of his weakness and the power of God's blessing. But it all depends on God's grace, God's power, God's mercy, God's blessing. We'll never become aware of our need for humility and therefore never grow into spiritual maturity unless we operate under the reality that we are completely and utterly at every single moment of our lives dependent upon our God. We live in a world, we live in a culture that celebrates independence, right? Everything's about you do this on your own. That's how you know you've made it, when you don't need anybody else. 
independence, as greatly as it's celebrated by our culture, by our world, is deadly to our spiritual lives. Independence says, I can make myself good enough. I can earn what I deserve. I can do. I can succeed. I can win. I can overcome. You know the common thing in all of those statements? I will fail you every time. Dependence, on the other hand, says, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. You alone are God. You alone can deliver me. You alone can sustain me. You are God and I am not. Dependence is the daily acceptance of reflection on and surrender to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reminder that when left to our own devices, we deserve nothing but death, just like Jacob deserved nothing but death after wrestling the Lord. Dependence says, while the best I have to offer deserves death, there is one and one only who lived perfectly, died sacrificially, and rose victoriously so that he could deliver us completely. Not based on our goodness, not based on our righteousness, not based on the best that we have to offer, but based on the perfection of who he is. And it is only by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that we find salvation, that we find redemption, that we find forgiveness, that we find true joy, true hope, true purpose, true meaning in anything in life. Because if any of that is dependent upon me, I mean, I won't speak for you guys, but I know if if goodness depends on me, I'm in big trouble. Because I am not that good. Thank the good Lord that I don't have to depend on me. It's in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So maturity requires that understanding, that dependence, that we have nothing to offer. One more thing. This is all good, right? You know I need dependence to develop awareness, to develop humility. Great. What now? Right? Where do I go from here? Let me just real quick this morning give you four characteristics of what mature dependence looks like. Okay, and this is not an exhaustive list. I just want to give you four examples here. And chances are every single one of us in this room can look at one of these areas and go, I'm not great there. I, as, as I was studying this week, I, I'm like three and a half of them that I'm in trouble with. Okay? But let's give four characteristics here. First is this, committed prayer. If we live lives of dependence upon the Lord, we live lives of committed prayer because every prayer, every time we pray is an act of submission and an act of surrender. Every time we pray, it is going to the Lord saying, God, I can't do this. You alone are gonna have to handle this. I will go where you call me to go. I will do what you call me to do, but you are the one who is in charge. If we lack a committed life of prayer, we lack dependence upon the Lord. Number two, relational humility. Relational humility. 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. It's this instruction that our lives are not about us. They don't depend on us. They don't depend on me getting what I want, me seeing what I want to see, getting, receiving, whatever about me. It's about serving others. Can we set ourselves and our own desires aside in order to serve others according to their needs? Do we trust that God will take care of us however he wants to take care of us as long as we are taking care of those that he has entrusted for us to take care of? It's relational humility. If our lives are about what we can get, what we deserve, what we should be seen as, accepted as, we lack dependence upon the Lord. Number three, spiritual patience. Spiritual patience. This is not needing to enforce my will, but trusting in God's timing. Galatians 6, verse 9. Again, Paul writes, Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Who defines the proper time? You? Nope. Me? Nope. Who defines the proper time? God. It's very rarely going to align with what we think the proper time is. Amen? Amen. We trust in God's timing. Spiritual patience. Number four, faithful perseverance. Faithful perseverance. As we said last week, dependence doesn't, doesn't need our desired outcomes. Things don't have to work out the way we think they should in order for us to keep moving forward. It simply comes back to the question, if God says go, will I go? If God says serve, will I serve? If God says move, will I move? If the answer is no, we don't depend on the Lord. We depend on ourselves. Committed prayer, relational humility, spiritual patience, faithful perseverance. Do we live lives of full and complete dependence. I'd rather not wrestle with that one this week. But it's one worth wrestling with. Humility, awareness, and dependence. These three attributes are are deeply intertwined. And if we want to grow, if we want to mature in our faith, if we want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection in a richer, deeper, more life-changing way, if we want to bask in the, the peace, the comfort, the purpose, the joy, and the sureness of the call to follow, obey, and honor Jesus, then we must remain fully and completely dependent upon Jesus Christ with every breath we breathe into our lungs. And we must be aware in every nanosecond of our lives, of every nanosecond of our existence, that our flesh is useless to save and deliver us. And we must live in humility as servants of the Most High God and ambassadors to the glory of his amazing love, grace, and mercy. Church family, may we never be a people who are content to show up here on Sunday morning to sing some songs, to go home, to pray occasionally, maybe to open our Bibles once in a while, and to know about God. Instead, let us be a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, 
a possession of God who seek with every fiber of our being to proclaim the grace of God, the love of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit as we grow and mature in the Lord and the service of his kingdom. In a moment, we're going to come together around the communion table. And this act of communion is one of the most beautiful acts of humility that we get to undertake as the body of Christ. It expresses the powerlessness of our flesh. It celebrates with gratitude the redemption that we have through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it proclaims the authority of the victory of Jesus And so I'm going to pray for us here. And then we're going to take some time. You have some time to reflect on this act of communion. Lord, am I, Lord, am I dependent on you? Am I aware of the bigness of you and the smallness of me? Am I surrendered in humility to the gift and the blessing that I have of salvation in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? And after we have had a time to reflect, we will come together and we will take the communion elements. As I'm praying, if you need those elements, if you didn't get them when you came in, please just raise your hand. One of our elders will will get these to you. But let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gift that we have of being called your children, of being welcomed into the protection and the provision of your family of celebrating the victory of your kingdom. We thank you for the ways in which you have opened our eyes to our need for you and the helplessness of our flesh. And yet at the same time, Lord, we come and we confess the fact that we all have a tendency to be arrogant and selfish and rebellious, to say, yes, you're good, we trust you and all that, but let's do this my way. And yet with that, Lord, we still come with incredibly grateful hearts because you've not left us in our rebellion, but you have loved us. You have offered forgiveness. You would offer that continual redemption. If we would repent, turning away from our sin and turning towards you. We thank you the gift of life that we have through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray now that you would reveal in our hearts where where we are still harboring that independence and give us the strength to let go, to confess, to release, to turn, and to run back to you as we come to the communion table. And once again, celebrate the joy of our salvation. Lord, we love you, and in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.